0: Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace and success. I'm Ashley milne Tite. This time on the show, how stress affects
1: women at work and everywhere else. I didn't share what was happening with any of my family or friends for quite some time. And I would just march forward like a good soldier to go to work and do good things there.
2: And what we can do about it. It's about communicating what you need and want in the right language, but it's also about asking questions. Coming
0: up, managing stress in the 21st century workplace. One of the most common things I hear female friends and colleagues say is either they're crazy busy or they're stressed or both. The latest stress survey from the American Psychological Association was released in early February. It says women continue to report higher levels of stress than men. In one statistic, 51% of women said they'd lain awake at night in the last month because of stress versus a third of men. Now, I've read various articles where the writers say, look, stress is not a bad thing. It's a normal bodily response to adversity. It keeps us on our toes and helps us get things done. I get that but many working women are overwhelmed by stress. It's affecting their health, and they need help digging out. In this episode, we hear one woman's story of extreme stress, and we hear from a therapist who sees a lot of clients withering under the more mundane strains of modern life. She offers some solutions. First, to Jen Yip. She works in technology in Northern California, and she's quite recently emerged from a stressful existence that went on for years. Work was a contributor to this, but for a long time, she didn't acknowledge that. She was too busy plowing through. Before we talked about that situation, I wanted to know about her upbringing, who had raised her and what
1: hopes or expectations they had for her future. My mom uh, came to the United States as an immigrant, uh, around the age of 11 or 12. My father was born and raised in Brooklyn. Um, so I would say I'm sort of a f- 1.5 generation uh, Chinese. And um, I I felt like we had a lot of high expectations growing up, myself and my, my siblings. Education was certainly a very important um, priority in our family, being able to support ourselves and and successfully build out a career, uh, and then you know, as a a, a woman in a fairly traditional Asian American family, the expectation was also that we would get married and have children as well. Um, so I think the the bar was set fairly high in many respects for myself and for my my sisters. Jen did all that was expected
0: of her. She excelled academically. She did a lot of athletics, and she played the violin and piano. She went to a good university and eventually to an excellent business school as well. And even though Jen herself says she didn't really feel marriage and kids were right for her, she did actually get married quite young. It was part of that roadmap her parents had laid out. She'd met her husband in college. They were together for several years and they got married when she was 26. But a few years into the marriage, his work situation took a turn for the worse and serious problems began to crop up.
1: The man I married was a—he was a kind and wonderful person at heart, but he also was struggling with his own demons. He—he um, he had sort of a dark, um, a dark past and a challenging upbringing, and it wasn't something that you know, he openly talked about. It was—he uh, was—he was also Chinese American, and generally, the idea of reaching out for help or. Um, seeking some kind of, I guess, therapeutic or psychotherapeutic support was uh, there's a stigma attached to it. We, we had some hard times together and he, he was struggling with uh, alcohol and what I would probably, uh, he wasn't officially diagnosed, but I would describe it as a, a depression, a depressive spiral that, that he was never able to recover from.
0: But as he struggled with his addiction and she struggled with what all this meant for their relationship, Jen echoed her husband's approach and that she didn't ask others for help.
1: I didn't realize it until many years later that I was very and continue to be very, very effective at compartmentalization. Um, so my, I think a lot of my upbringing and I think part of also the athletic um training I had, I tended to look at a challenging situation and think, okay, how do I get through this? How do I power through it and get on to the next play? That was also very much how I approached uh, my work and I came to understand that was my, it was my approach to life in general. So during this time when things were starting to get very challenging on the home front, with my husband, I would compartmentalize what was happening at home, not only between my work life and my home life, but also within my personal life. I didn't share what was happening with any of my family or friends for quite some time. Um, and I would just march forward like a good soldier to um, go to work and do good things there. And I, um, I wound up pouring a lot of my energy and passion into my job. And um, again, reflecting back on this time, it was probably one of the most um, most successful in terms of accelerating my career uh, and stretching my professional muscles and moving upwards. She was working for a series of media companies in New York. But while she was doing brilliantly
0: at work, her marriage was crumbling it seemed like she was okay on the surface, but she was sleeping just four hours a night. She was also partying pretty hard. Still, at this point, none of this seemed to be taking a toll on her health. In the mid-2000s, her marriage ended, and she moved out to San Francisco in part to further her career in the media and technology space. She had also begun a new relationship. Basically,
1: moved out here and started anew. But about six or seven months after I moved out here, um, you know, I did get word that my ex-husband had passed away. Um, and so after that point, I carried the grief with me, again, compartmentalizing and thinking, OK, that's part of my past. It's, you know, it's done now. I can move forward. But I really i gave myself maybe days to grief um and did not deal with the baggage of the entire experience of unwinding that relationship being in a new relationship she says she was like a bullet train full speed ahead on
0: action but completely disconnected from her emotions Meanwhile, at work, she seemed to be thriving initially, taking on more challenges. At this point, she was working for a startup. She says the leadership team was pretty dysfunctional and office life was fast-paced. There were lots of difficult decisions to be made and quite a few disagreements. And
1: it was often myself um with uh, the three co-founders who are all all men or you know talking uh, in a small uh, in a small group of stakeholders again predominantly male and there are a lot of raised voices there's a lot of um sort of in your face type of communication styles that's very off the cuff She says some
0: conversations turned into verbal boxing matches. She had to raise her voice. And although she'll tell you she's a straightforward person, she doesn't have any problem with that, looking back, the whole thing was wearing. It's just that she was so used to dealing with the stress, it almost didn't register with her. Oh, and she was still sleeping four hours a night. She ultimately left that firm and joined another startup. This was a big, well-funded global company. And here, things finally got on top of her. The atmosphere was so thick with politics,
1: she says, you needed a chainsaw to cut through it. There was some drama that I had walked into sort of unbeknownst to me, or maybe I think there might have been a part of me that was choosing to ignore it. Um, And again, I had not chosen to deal with the emotional baggage related to my ex-husband's death. The relationship that I was in when I moved out to San Francisco was starting to unravel, um, again, due to a lot of the a whole host of different, um, uh, reasons, but I chose not to focus on the relationship or my home life. I poured myself into work for better or for worse. And, um, so the executive team, again, entirely, a male three co-founder team, um, actually, based uh, in Asia, and um, you know, I would describe, again, for better or for worse, this is my characterization, but I would describe it as a boys' club, and further to that, it's uh, sort of a Harvard Business School slash McKinsey boys' club. So there's a little bit more, <laughs> more uh, that goes with that as well. The executive team was not able to commit to a singular focus with what my business unit was meant to do. Which made life tough for her and her team, people
0: she felt responsible for. At this point, she finally began to crack. She says she's never been much of a crier. But one day, a tear slipped down her cheek in front of a colleague. After that, they
1: came regularly. During the moments where I felt like my stress had come to such a high level that I couldn't collect myself um, because that previous cycle of being able to compartmentalize and take a breath, move forward with my day, soldier forward, that wasn't working for me anymore or it just wasn't there for me to tap into as a coping mechanism. Um, So there were Many, many moments, um, which a lot of people on my team still, they would find it a shock if they were to discover this now, that I would leave a meeting or walk away from a conversation or a call, and I would have to break down for maybe a minute in privacy somewhere, bathroom, conference room, um, anywhere I could be alone, just cry it out for a minute, gather myself and then go back in and uh, move forward.
0: At this point, other things were going wrong. Her relationship had imploded. She had a flu-like illness every few months. She put off treating a benign cyst because it seemed like too much of a time suck. She also began to notice that if she did sleep more than four hours a night, she felt like an entirely different person. Gradually, she started to change her lifestyle. These days she works for herself and she says it's taken the last three years to turn herself around, to build up a support network in the Bay Area, which she never had before, to start to respect her body, to become mindful and self-aware and to shed old habits and behaviours, which she's still working on. So I asked, when she looks back on her experiences, does she see how she dealt with all this as particularly female or could a guy have reacted in just
1: the same way? Actually recently read a book which articulated it very well. I wasn't able to think about it in these terms, but I my tendency after any situation, whether it's personal or professional, is to do postmortems in my head. I don't put it down on paper and do a postmortem for myself, but I'll replay the scenario over and over. How could I have done this better? How could the outcome have been different? Um, why did I do this? Why did I say that? And um, I tend to live in that past moment and replay it over and over and over. And if I felt I made a mistake, I would actually beat myself up for it. And I don't think men do that as much as women.
0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. So as you've heard Jen's way of coping with a lot of stress was just to keep going. She wasn't asking anyone for help. She wasn't sharing the burden of what she was going through. But she may be unusual among women. Psychotherapist Marjorie Hirsch has her own practice in New York. She also works a few days a week at a big corporation as their on-staff counsellor. She says yes,
2: the professional women she sees are frazzled. I actually myself have a magnet. And it says stress happens when your mouth says yes and your brain says no. And so women typically are more prone to being helpful kind, considerate, thoughtful, you know, and it's part of their biological makeup as well as their tending to other people. That means we're likelier to take on more because
0: we don't want to disappoint someone, and taking on more work of all kinds usually means more stress. I I suspect that women will say, oh, I'm so stressed about this. I suspect they're more vocal, and I wonder whether the men even articulate it.
2: Actually, uh, men are coming in and saying, they say it slightly differently. They'll say, uh, I have so many people pulling at me, you know. One of my clients came in recently and he said, my wife gives me a list to do when I come home from work. And so it's trying to manage everything and having the time to manage it. And so they think of it more as honey do's, you know, honey do this, honey do that, etc. A woman thinks it is their responsibility to make sure everything gets done. And if honey doesn't do it, they'll do it. They'll make arrangements to have somebody come in. They'll have to leave their job, come home, be there to make sure the person gets in the apartment to fix something and then go back to work. She says even with a female couple, each person tends to fall into a traditional role
0: in the relationship. The woman who works less, she says, she'll be the one to do traditionally supportive things like letting in the plumber. Marjorie sees women clients who are worn out, caring for children and older parents on top of their jobs. Women who are single working parents, single women who get lumped with other people's work around the holidays because the boss says, you don't have a family, you're available. She says there's something her clients could all do more of to cut down on stress, particularly at work. Ask
2: questions. That's the most important thing, and I'll give you an example of this. One of my uh, clients was very upset because her boss keeps, and it's a female boss, um, her female boss keeps uh, emailing her all weekend, the entire weekend. Uh, It was right. And I said to her, does she expect you to answer the email? And she said, I have no idea. I said, well, why don't you ask her? So Monday she went in and she said, you know, I have a question. Um, Do you expect me to answer the emails over the weekend that you send me? She said, absolutely not. She said, I'm just sending them to take them off my plate so that I remember that you'll remember to do them during the week. If she had not asked the question, she would have had no personal life. But because she asked the question, she was able to get a different kind of answer and a different kind of interaction going forward.
0: So that suggests that some of managing stress or reducing stress is about communication. Yes,
2: very much. It's about communicating what you need and want in the right language. But it's also about asking questions, trying to figure out a way to get what you need and to really identify what you need, because we don't always know what we need. Marjorie says another stressor people complain
0: about is the stream of emails and texts they get all day, each apparently begging for an immediate reply. Yeah and I mean talk about that because obviously the tyranny of email is something that I'm aware of and beginning to experience more and more. I miss stuff Mm -hmm. because my inboxes, plural, now have so much stuff coming in and and it and that I find stressful actually. I try and manage my inbox at the end of the day. I try to get it down to one page so that I'm <laughs> so that like visually I'm not. It's not so crowded. But um, I mean, how you've talked about communication being vital to to sort of cutting down on some of this. When you're talking to clients, what else do you advise people who are in these very packed lives to do. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Well, I just had a conversation with my client this morning, and she's running around on roller skates, and her husband is also working, and she has two kids, and she has a nanny, but reduced hours. Nanny, she commutes, so it's an hour commute each way. So does her husband. Um, And I said to her, are you having any fun? And she said, huh? And I said, you know, the fun word, uh, you need to have fun, you need to laugh, you need to have a sense of humor, because it's the first thing to go when you're stressed. Nothing's funny, you're irritable, and you can't even concentrate on fun. So she said, uh, I don't know, I'm not having fun. I said, okay, well, you have homework, because I give homework. Um, I said, you have homework, you and your husband have to go out on a date, you're not allowed to talk to the kids, you're not allowed to talk about the kids. You're not allowed to check in with the nanny and make sure every not the house didn't burn down. You're not to do anything except enjoy each other. That's it. And and she said, "Well, when am I supposed to fit that in?" <laughs> I said, "Well, I said if you have to skip something, like extra food shopping, go have breakfast, and then go food shopping." so, you know, we're used to go, 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 or we collapse. Or people are sitting watching TV and they're making lists in their mind over and over again about everything that they have to do. Or what if this doesn't get done? Or what if that doesn't get done? Or what if this happens? What if we have a snowstorm? Oh, my God. What's going to happen with the kids? What's going to happen with my work? What's going to happen with this and that? And what I tell people is Mm -hmm. don't keep catastrophizing. Don't generalize, oh, this is going to be awful when this happens. No, you will deal with whatever it is one step at a time. But if you're not present for living your life, it's going to be problematic. So you have to still have a little bit of downtime. It's like sleep. Everybody needs sleep. It's a way your body rejuvenates itself. Same thing with downtime. You need a little downtime, and you have to figure out how you're going to have it.
0: Actually, and listening to you talk about that makes me think about boundaries, because, and I wonder if you think there's any difference between men and women setting boundaries, because this ability to set boundaries is something I, as a woman, am trying to get better at. But I, I detect it in myself, when you've got all these emails coming at you, Somebody wants something. Somebody wants something else. We've got to get back to that person about this. It, 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 you think, oh my gosh, I've, I've got I've got so many people to respond to, and and then there's that real person physically <laughs> there who wants something from me, and and I I think. Either men are better at ignoring stuff or they're better at drawing boundaries and saying, you know what, I'm actually, it's not urgent. I'm not going to deal with that today. This is my theory that women are not as good at that.
2: Absolutely. Your theory is 100% correct. What ends up happening is it's hard for women typically to say no. Uh, It just is because they're supposed to do everything. So when they say no, they go, oh, my gosh, I have just said no. The person's going to hate me. They're going to think I'm inept. W- whatever the setting is, the, uh, you know, or gonna my, think I'm a bad person. The, I, oh, for sure, I'm a bad human being, and I'm not, I'm not the loving, warm female spirit, you know. No, that's absolutely not true. You are not only allowed to say no, but if you do not say no, you will be a drowning human being, literally. So sometimes with the emails. I say to people, if it's really important, but you know you can't do it right that moment, send them a message and say, you are in the middle of something. You will need to get back to them on Friday. Put it in your calendar to get back to Harry on Friday. Then they have the expectation that you will get back to them, but that you also read it, didn't ignore it, and then they're not gonna send you 12 emails after the one email about, so, what happened? Did you? Re- why didn't you respond? Why didn't you respond, you didn't have a minute. So people also, if you say to them ahead of time and you manage the expectation, it's easier to set a boundary. It's also okay to say to someone, you know, I'm actually not good at setting boundaries. So I'm practicing this year. And so no, I actually can't do that. Mm. I really can't. I wish I could, but I cannot. People would like an explanation. If you can give them an explanation, it helps. So I no, I really actually can't do that because I have a conflict, I have an article that has to be written by five. Okay, they could get that. Some explanations, they're not entitled to because it's personal. And so you say, I really wish I could do that, but I really can't, maybe we could do this instead. And so then you give them an alternate plan and sometimes people really appreciate, at least you didn't say 100% no, let's think of game plan B. She says more people, but
0: women in particular, need to think about making time to do things that are truly important to them to silence that voice that tells you to give everything to work and or family. Recently, she had a couple of female clients in corporate jobs both say to her, you know what I wish I was
2: doing? Painting. Marjorie said, well, why don't you pick up a brush? Those are the things that actually reduce your stress. Creativity reduces your stress. Doing something helpful. Somebody said they wanted to volunteer recently. That's helpful, so it gets you outside of yourself and you think about other people. You know, asking for help is important. Giving help is important. Finding out what would make your life more manageable and easier, and then saying, Do you think you could do this? Or trading off if you have a child and saying, you know, could you take my child Tuesday from 2 to 6, and I'll take yours Thursday from 2 to 6. Asking all the questions. It's so important to ask questions. You know, I was thinking of... Doing this, would it be better if I did it Tuesday or would it be better if I did it Thursday? You know, so that people also then feel they have a little bit of input, but not total control over your decision. So any kind of stress reduction, you know, the typical meditation, the typical journaling, reading, downtime, all of that is, is one exercise, walking, whatever, singing, humming, dancing in your house. You know, whatever makes you happy, it gets your endorphins going and it actually helps you be a happier person
0: marjorie hirsch thanks to her and to jen yip for sharing her story earlier this episode of the podcast has been supported by mailchimp i'm grateful to them for lending some support to the show i produce the broad experience newsletter using mailchimp you can sign up for that on the homepage. i'll post more information about my guests and some links about stress under this episode at thebroadexperience.com thanks again to april leslie for her help with this episode i'm ashley Tite. thanks for listening